Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstadt, before you leave, look at your crystal ball. Five years from now, will there continue to be a printed version of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that is available to purchase at retail stores or is delivered to your home? Yeah, Five years from now. Maybe not every day. Maybe uh, it'll be a, a Wednesday, Sunday type of thing. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm beginning to become convinced that it's, it's just going to completely disappear. You know, we, we've talked about home delivery. One of our listeners who runs a retail outlet just sent me a copy of a letter that they just got from the Journal Sentinel. Here's a, Dear retailer, please be advised that due to low sales, effective Monday, April 5th, 2021, Gannett Publishing Services will stop single copy retail delivery of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel USA Today and any accompanying commercial product to your, uh, to your retail outlet. The sales per day at your location make it no longer profitable to deliver. The last day that your retail outlet will receive these products will be Sunday, April 4th, 2020. Assume that's a misprint and they mean 2021. <laughs> You're, you're getting that, that, that says something too. You're getting this letter like canceling you, and and they can't even get that right. You know, they've got a typo in there. Okay, um, should you decide to continue service with delivery of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, you would need to purchase three copies per day with no right of return. Yeah, see the way it works at these retail stores. If you don't sell, they they deliver the papers, and if you don't sell them, you can you can submit get them back okay. and get credit. Yep. So, should you? Um, to decide to continue services of delivery of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, you would need to purchase three copies per day with no right of return. If this is agreeable to you, you will we will be happy to service your outlets. So in other words, if you're willing to buy them, but <laughs> you know it's stunning to me. They they can't even apparently sell three copies. You, yeah, they, they're not even yeah. selling three hard copies of it, and I, and I don't know where this retailer is. Um, if you wish to continue service under the new program, please feel free to contact us at your convenience. So in other words, uh, you're, you're not selling the papers now, but if you buy them from us and then still won't be able to sell them, we'll continue to deliver them. Sure. <laughs> why, yeah. why, I, I just... I, I just I just don't see how this survives. Yeah, I, I just it is a unfortunate circumstance that you really don't see how it can turn around in a way where they can be profitable again. Again, making the make the, with the hard copies with the hard the papers, copies, yes, right. And, yes. and of course, then the other problem is how do you monetize the digital stuff? That that's I mean, mm, you, that's you know, been new, a challenge for right, years. New, right, newspapers. It used to be you'd have circulation, then you'd have classified ads, then you'd and of course nobody classified ads in a newspaper. I mean, yeah. it used to be three sections. Now it's nothing. Um, advertising, well, for people who take out print advertising, it's based all on circulation rates, and there's nobody, you know, at least there, there, there's nobody that, or very few people that end up getting the hard copy of the paper, so how do you charge for that? See, and it's interesting because way back they're when... They're not selling them at retail stores. <laughs> way back when, Napster, I don't know if you remember Napster, sure. but it was this music sharing site, right? So you could like sh put music sure. on there and other people could just take it and it was free and all that stuff and it caused this big hullabaloo because it was stealing music or whatnot. And eventually, iPhones came out and Apple's like, yeah, we're going to sell you music. And I remember thinking at the time, well, that's not going to work because we've had this Napster thing. No one's going to transition over where they're actually purchasing music. But now that's worked. Some people purchase Spotify. Some people buy albums right. from you know the iStore or whatever, Apple Store. But it, you haven't seen the same 
thing happen with papers? It's been a different challenge being able to move from, at one point, everyone getting it for free to now trying to figure out how to right. and, and modify I think, I, I, think it's, I think part of it is maybe the diversity of the, the sources. With, for, for news, you have, a, you have thousands of different outlets yes. where you can, you can get the, the news. Whereas if you want to listen to a Jimmy Buffett song, you know, it, it's a different sort of thing. Or if Willie True. Nelson's your guy. But, it, but, you know, it's interesting. But it, they haven't figured out how to monetize it. I don't think they're going to be able to figure out how to monetize it. And you really wonder what the future is. And, the, and, and so the way newspapers in general respond is they cut and they cut and they cut. Right, right. And that's oh. less content and it's less desirable. Yep. There will and be less thi- spotlights on different things happening in right. the community I mean, that we I mean, should know about. There will be things like the big net, the, the New York Times will continue to exist. The Wall Street Journal will continue to exist. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. The, the, local, the, the local papers, and by local, I mean you know, the, the St. Louis whatever and the yep. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I just don't, I don't see the future for a print edition. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So in any event, so now they're cutting off retailers. And the deal is, if you agree to buy three, we'll continue to deliver. But that tells me you haven't been able to sell three. You know, so what does that say? Okay. Where do we start? Huh. Gee, when, when Tom Barrett decides that he's going to endorse you, you might want to say, next time Barrett comes out with an endorsement, you might want to remember Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Brett Blom. This story is just absolutely unbelievable in the extreme. And I, if, if you haven't seen it, I sent out a tweet. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And by the way, I do blame voters in Milwaukee County for this in, in part. Blom, and I think that's how you pronounce it, he is the Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge assigned to juvenile court. Let's let this one hang out there for a moment. If you wonder why the juvenile justice system in Wisconsin is so screwed up, you've got, okay, this... This Brett Blom, he is, he's on the bench. Matter of fact, he might be the chief judge out there. <laughs> okay, he was elected in the spring. He ran against a Scott Walker appointee. And I said at the time, I thought he was staggeringly unqualified for the job. But, but he ended up winning because Voters in Milwaukee County decided to have a hissy fit, and we're anybody that's a anybody that's a Walker appointee, we're going to vote out. So I mean, he he. So the the guy that was kind of a law and order judge gets gets dumped in favor of uh, this guy who wasn't living in wasn't living in Milwaukee County. That was a whole issue as well. Who ran? describing himself as a progressive alternative. So, I mean, and, and he ran about his, his plan was, I don't want to put people in jail. I don't I want to I want to find all these alternatives. So he ends up getting elected again because you Milwaukee County voters had a hissy fit and decided, oh, we don't want these law and order people that Scott Walker appointed. So he ends up winning. Um, if you haven't followed the story, he was taken into custody yesterday following an investigation by the State Division of Criminal Investigation into multiple uploads of child pornography um, through a, a kick messaging application account in October and November of 2020. Charges are expected to be filed against him on Wednesday. He was arrested in Dane County. The 44-page search warrant filed Friday by DCI, that's the Division of Criminal Investigation, said investigators found the judge using the name 
Dom Master BB uploaded 27 videos and images containing child pornography. Okay, the, the, the dazzling details get even better. Two of the files were uploaded at a Milwaukee County government building, including, it says, the search warrant. So the guy's not only doing it at home, he's, he's uploading pornography, um, you know, at, at, at work or essentially in a government building. You know, your tax dollars at work. Um, okay, he's currently assigned to children's court, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he was elected, like I say, in the spring of 2020, defeating the incumbent because the incumbent was an appointee of Governor Walker. And we want to just vote off those Walker guys. Um, before being elected, Blom was a Barrett appointed, um, by Tom Barrett. Um, he, the Democratic to a, to a, a part-time gig in Milwaukee that paid almost $40,000, full-time head of the Cream City Foundation. In 2019, Barrett urged Tony Evers to select him to an opening on the Milwaukee County Circuit Court, saying he had known him for nearly 20 years. This is Barrett's state. I have the opportunity to watch Brett grow into a leader and strong advocate for Milwaukee, a person of impeccable integrity, and someone who has worked to make Milwaukee a more diverse and equitable place for all <laughs> okay um good good call there um good call there mayor barrett um and again like i say the guy ran as the liberal challenger to conservative walker appointee i'm the progressive alternative he said during the campaign well yeah this is the, the last thing you apparently want in milwaukee county is a law and order judge who's going to hold people accountable instead you want the progressive alternative and now let's look at how that works now i you know, want to say that people are, in fact, he hasn't even been formally charged, at least to my knowledge. They haven't issued the formal charges. Um, but my guess is in this particular case, and people are innocent until proven guilty, my guess is that, that, that they've got the goods in this case uh, because this you do not start an investigation like this of a, of a sitting judge, especially a politically connected city judge, uh, county judge, uh, unless you've dotted your I's and you've crossed your T's. This was done by the State Department of Justice. And my guess is that this went up all the way to the top. My guess is that the Democratic Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin, Josh Carl, if he didn't, I'm, I'm sure he didn't prepare the search warrant, but my guess is he knew about it, signed off on, on this, because, again, this is this is an investigation that is fraught with political peril. This is Mayor Tom Barrett's guy who's involved in these things. So my guess is that they were especially thorough uh, about this before you start doing this type of investigation. Again, you know, if there's charges, people are innocent until proven guilty. But my experience in cases like this is that before you, you launch these types of investigations in general, you have a pretty good idea that you're going to be able to sustain the charges, and especially in a case like this where a very, very well-connected office holder with the blessings and endorsements of the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, um, Tom Barrett is apparently expressing complete surprise at the arrest. The allegations are alarming, Barrett said in a statement. No kidding. The reports of the arrest came as a complete surprise. Democratic mayor has been a strong supporter of Blom in the past, having appointed him as a chair of the Board of Zoning Appeals and recommended him for a court vacancy in 2019. Well, again, assuming these allegations are correct, uh, the, the, the mayor pretty much missed this. But the bigger point is, once again, this, this is this is the voters in Milwaukee County. And, and this is it was a hissy fit 
we're going to defeat you know the, those law and order types that Scott Walker would have appointed. And, and fine, you vote out the law and order uh, judge and replace him with the quote unquote progressive alternative. Send him off to juvenile court and. Okay, now nobody anticipated it would be something like this, but just keep this in mind next time you are presented with, gee, we want the progressive alternatives. Uh, you know, maybe maybe law and order really does, in fact, matter. Don't know how this one's going to play out, but um, pretty shocking developments yesterday. When we come back, no screaming for you. Stick around. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Maybe you've heard the story. It's breaking this morning. In, in California, they've been in, in major league lockdown of, of various things, including like Disney World, Universal Studios, a number of the theme parks. Now, they've been open in, in Florida for forever with, with limitations on the number of people that you can have in. But finally, California which despite mask mandates and shutdowns and major league lockdowns and huge economic problems, it, it hasn't worked to stop the, the spread of, of COVID. But finally, they're starting to get stuff under control. So now they're going to allow theme parks to open up. And Disney World and Universal Studios, Studios Hollywood, they're supposed to open up on, what, April 1st. But there are guidelines. I'm now looking at the Orange County Register. Apparently, the organization that enforces these types of things, the California Attractions and Parks Association, says, all right, you can open up, but there is a recommendation. The recommendation is that parks like Disney World and Disney California Adventure attempt to avoid situations that would cause guests to scream or shout as much as possible, since this can lead to the spread of COVID-19. The concern is apparently that shouting uh, could could deal with this. So if you are on one of those roller coasters, all right, um, and some of the attractions, these thrill rides that need to be dealt with, the Matterhorn, Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Indiana Jones Adventure, Splash Mountain, Gadgets Go Coaster, for example, the word is don't scream, don't shout on the roller coasters. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this, I, I, I'm curious as to your reaction. Mine is if this idea were any dumber, it would wink. And that is apologies to, to swine. I, I'm sorry. If you're, the, the idea that you are in an outdoor environment, that you on a roller coaster, you are being told, don't shout when you go upside down. I mean, how realistic is this? Do normal people look at this and say, okay, well, we're going to go on the uh, rock and roll roller coaster, um, and, and so we're, we're not going to shout. We're not going to yell. That's whole. That's an entire part of the experience. Is it reasonable to say to people, come to the amusement parks, but when you ride on the roller coasters or the thrill rides, we don't want you to shout. We don't want you to yell. We expect you to go through it in silence. To me, this is just one of these these crazy things that is out there that demonstrates how around the bend we have gotten with the whole notion of COVID. I mean, if it is true that they seriously think that being on the roller coaster and going up and down and going upside down, that when you yell, 
because you're upside down at 60 miles an hour, that that is really likely to spread COVID. And I would love to see any evidence that suggests that. But if they really believe that's a chance, then they should keep the thing shut down. Otherwise, they should let, at least in my opinion, people enjoy the roller coaster. Is it reasonable to say, go on a thrill ride, but don't shout or scream? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I swear, it seems lately you have different governors and different agencies that are trying to outdumb them each other in trying to figure out, gee, what restrictions can we put on people as we emerge from the pandemic? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can you seriously go on a roller coaster and expect people not to scream or shout? My answer would be no. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love the text. This is stupid. Why even open up? I start screaming before the rides even move. Jeff, please pay hundreds of dollars to come to our amusement park, but don't you dare to be amused. Stupidity at its finest. California rules as usual, just like the mandatory signs and parking structures that warn you're exposing yourself to carcinogens and your health is at risk. The nanny state persists. Jeff, so stupid. Lloyd and Harry from Dumb and Dumber would be jealous. Jeff, seems to me that everyone should be allowed to themselves if they're comfortable riding a roller coaster the old-fashioned way. Not comfortable, don't ride it. Absolutely. See, that's the key. If you are if you do not feel comfortable going to a Disneyland or a California Disney adventure, don't do it. I, I, I got it. Don't don't do it. But on the other hand, I mean, seriously, if you look at look at, for example, all the, the social justice protests that we've had over the over the last year or so, you have all these people, large groups. They are outside. They are yelling. They are shouting. They are screaming. They are singing. And we are apparently not concerned that that's any a real opportunity to spread COVID because you know what? The science demonstrates it's not. So now you have a situation where you're going to put people on a roller coaster where they're screaming and yelling as the roller coaster is moving at a high rate of speed. And you say, don't scream, don't yell. It's just crazy. And what's happened is people have lost the ability to process common sense. If there's evidence that empirically suggests that they're substantially at risk of passing on COVID by sitting on a roller coaster that goes from zero to 60 in, you know, three or four seconds. Well, okay, if there's evidence for that, then what you should do, I guess, is decide to shut down the ride. But if there's no evidence, you shouldn't come up with staggeringly stupid rules like this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A year ago, the pandemic was taking hold. Millions were laid off. The stock market plunged and investor confidence was low. As we recover, what will you do differently with your plan and your investments? Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management on Wednesday, March 31st at 6 p.m. for a special webinar, Investing in a Post-COVID World with WTMJ Steve Scafidi. It's a free webinar. It's open to 90 fans who are interested in what's next in the markets and investing. It is limited to 90. So to find out more, visit the features page at WTMJ.com and be sure to sign up today. All right. I mentioned we were going to discuss this yesterday and we didn't get around to it because I wanted to leave some time. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out a link to this particular story. Ron Johnson, the U.S. senator, the senior senator from Wisconsin, who's found himself 
at the center of a, a number of, of different controversies over the course of the last year. I think you can make a strong argument that in 2020, Ron Johnson emerged as perhaps the most vigorous and vocal defender of Donald Trump and, and various Trump policies. He, he has been a lightning rod for controversy, and, and we've had Senator Johnson on, on the program to discuss some of those things. In addition, and, and part of it is... Part of it is that he he's being targeted by by the left. In 2022, the control of the U.S. Senate is going to be up for grabs. I mean, right now it's 50-50. Senator Johnson is the republic is a Republican, the only I think Republican who is running for re-election from a and to the Senate from a state that uh, Joe Biden carried in 2020. So th- there's a perception that hey he, he's beatable here. Now of course there was a perception that he was beatable in 2010 and he won. There's a perception that he was going to lose dramatically to Russ Feingold in 2016 and he won. And Ron Johnson has made a career out of kind of defining expectations. In any event. Senator Johnson has found himself at the center of a series of controversies, including some that are candidly of his own making, at least in my opinion, because he's he's decided to invite discussions on some of the these different topics. For example, you know, he, he was talking about he's talked about how, hey, the you know, the, the people who, who came into the Capitol um, I, I just he objects to the term of an armed insurrection. He said there there weren't too many of them who had guns. And, and my point at the time was, why even go down this route? I mean, what what difference does it make, for example, whether or not three people had guns or, or 50 people had guns? You had hundreds of people who stormed the Capitol and, you know, you had a couple people who ended up dead. Why get hung up on, on whether it's armed or not? To me, that's. It's like, again, using the cliche, it's like trying to not see the forest for the trees. Well, in any event, um, he's he's back in the news. He does a radio interview um, with he does an interview with um, Joe Pags, who I've never heard of before. He does a does a show. And this is over the weekend. He explains why he wasn't concerned about Trump supporters who came to Washington on January 6th to protest peacefully. And, you know, what he ends up saying is, now had the tables been turned, Joe, this could get me in trouble. And here's my advice to politicians. When you're doing radio or TV interviews and you pause your thought and say, this could get me in trouble. Maybe that's the stop sign that says, if you're thinking this could get you in trouble, maybe that means you should just kind of go in a different direction. But he says, now, had the tables been turned, Joe, this could get me in trouble. Had the tables been turned and President Trump won the election and those were tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter and Antifa protesters, I might have been a little bit concerned. And then, you know, and then he goes on to talk about this, but immediately... You know, people seize on this and say, "Okay, this is this is Ron Johnson being racist because he's you know singled out. He he wasn't worried when it was predominantly white people who were rioting at the Capitol, but he would have been worried if it was predominantly black people. I mean, that's the implication of his remarks. And now you've got this whole racist controversy that's out there. But it's once again Ron Johnson courting courting trouble by you know dealing with 
controversial issues that, candidly, I don't know why he's going down this route. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Senator Johnson has a big opinion piece in yesterday's Wall Street Journal. I won't be silenced by the left. They twisted what I said about January 6th because they want Americans to forget last summer's violence and destruction. And in, he's he's not backing down. He says, my remarks weren't racist. I have nothing to apologize, et cetera, et cetera. R- regardless of the playing the race card, regardless of whether you interpret the remarks as being racist or not. I do wonder why Senator Johnson continues to pick these various fights, because, again, who cares? I mean, the, the, the what happened at the, and by that, I mean, what happened at the Capitol was a terrible sort of thing. I mean, it was just it, it, it was terrible. And and instead of just acknowledging that this was terrible and let's let's kind of move on. And the people who are responsible for this need to be prosecuted, which I think is what Senator Johnson said when he's been on my program. You know, we, we, we go down some of these rabbit holes which invite this criticism. And, of, of course, it's clear that Senator Johnson has a target on his back. There, there's no doubt about it. And that the left is waiting to pounce on everything he says, which is why I don't understand why you even open these doors. Who, who, who cares whether, gee, I would have been more concerned if it was a Black Lives Matter protest. What, what is the point of going down that route? And that's one of the things that I've been having trouble understanding is why we keep picking these fights, why the senator keeps picking these fights that seem that there's, there's nothing good that comes out of them because Ron Johnson got to Washington in 2010 and 2016 by being the manufacturer. Remember those old whiteboard ads that he used to do that I thought were just incredibly effective things? Hey, the U.S. Senate, there's 100 members, 56 of them are lawyers. Nobody's an accountant. Nobody's a manufacturer. I'm here to talk about the deficit. I'm here to talk about health care. And, and now we're, we're off you know, talking about comfort levels with rioters at the Capitol. I don't understand where we're going. And I think the senator, I, I think... Yes, he has a target on his back, but he encourages this by going down these routes. And, and like I say, if you're if you're doing an interview and you stop yourself and say, this might get me in trouble. Well, OK, maybe that's that stop sign that maybe you should just go in a different direction. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think Ron Johnson is a racist, but I think these comments are not helpful they feed into the people that want to see him minimized and defeated in 2022 should he run again 855-616-1620 what do you think back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner We've really stirred up a hornet's nest with, with this, and, and, and the sides are split. Let me just give, before we take the phone calls, let me give you two, two um, divergent texts. Jeff, Johnson appears to be Trump Jr. He's stuck on the subject. He doesn't know how to um, shut his mouth. And then the flip side is, Jeff, I think he's saying things that need to be said because he um, nobody else is standing up. He's the voice of Republicans because nobody else is standing up. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Let's start with Fred on the west side. Fred, you're first. Good afternoon. Yes. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, yes. I, I, you know, Ron uh, understands the position. And he's in, and he's a you know he's a politician by trade, and uh, uh, he knows uh, you know what his audience wants and and what will you know cause 
you know, him, you know, some downside, but he's willing to accept, uh, you know, the downside um, uh, and get his message out there uh, to his audience that he prefers. So you think it's a it's a politically calculated thing. You think he's he's playing to a, a certain part of the Republican electorate, um, and that that's that's a, that's what they want to hear. Exactly. Yeah, because you know uh, that, that's politics. You know, and he knows it's going to be provocative. He even you know mentioned it up front, and you know his uh, making his statement. So. Um, Politicians are very savvy. I, I don't think he's naive in what he's saying, and and uh, he uh, wants his audience to know that. And he's. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I hit I hit the wrong button. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That was me. Hit the wrong button. Um, saying he's a savvy politician. I. Well, you almost have to think that this is a calculated move. Um, because the, the senator has been saying the, these various things, but at the same time, I, I guess what, where, where does this end up getting you? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I voted for him twice. I won't vote for him for a third time. Jeff, as a Republican myself, I'm joining the Democrats and trying to silence Johnson. I think he's completely lost it. Um, there's a very talented group of younger Republicans that are waiting to take his job. Jeff, did it ever occur to you that Ron is tired of political? correctness and the cancel culture that seems to be taking over this country. Well, I, I mean, I understand. But look, I'm tired of the cancel culture. I mean, I, I get that. I, I understand all that. But the question becomes, what are we what are we trying to do? Eight, five, five. I mean, and, and where do you where do you get? I mean, the, look, who, who cares by drawing the parallels to to Antifa and the Capitol rioters? Where, where does it get you? How does this advance the particular dialogue? And and, and do I look, you know, he's being accused of being a racist. I, I, that's not been my experience with Ron Johnson. and I've known him for 10 years. But at the same time. You, you by by even bringing up these comparisons, yes, I think you can fairly denounce and you can say, okay, well, maybe there's a double standard of media coverage and maybe, you know, there wasn't enough focus on the violence from the, the summer social justice protests. And I'm not taking a position on that one way or the other. But if you want to make that point, kind of doing the tying this in just invites, I think, this type of controversy and gets us away from talking about what I think are the, the major issues that I'm concerned about, which is the economy and all these other things. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. David in Bayview. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, all right. This is coming from a strict, independent, non-registered voter. I deregistered myself to vote completely. Why? Um, but so did you? Did you aside, let me, I'm, I'm going to let you make your point, but I'm, I'm kind of curious. Okay. So, did did you not sure. vote in the last presidential election? I did not. And okay. I haven't voted, actually, um, I voted locally maybe back in 20, like 2012, but the, that was the last time I voted. Prior to that was my first time voting, which was the Gore-Bush election, which, and I was just a kid, you know, so I voted for Gore. Um, okay, all why, side, why? Why don't, I'm, and I, I'm, again, I'm going to make you, make, make, I'm, I'll let you make your point. I'm just curious, why? I mean, why, why don't you vote? You, you, you're obviously, you're um, listening to talk I, radio, you're concerned with issues. Why don't you vote? Absolutely, and I'm very involved as well um, online with certain things. And I feel it's it's it, because it's turned into WWF. It's turned into pro wrestling, and it's it's blatantly obvious when they took away sports with the COVID thing. 
um, trying to get Trump out of office, this, that, and the other. And I'm, I'm going to be as brief as I can, and you can feel free to question me and stop me whenever you feel. Um, but I'll, I'll leave it at this. It just got so disgusting and, and, and foul. Um, and the fact that the COVID struck, I, I just, there's just so many things here. COVID struck, it felt like dominoes, basically. And you take away the bread and circus. I mean, we can go back to Rome, compared to Rome here. And you take away bread and circus, and what do we have? Well, we have a main feature now where the bread and circus becomes politics. And you get crazies out there, like you get the mega QAnon lunatics yeah. that... But, but David, I guess my, my question is by you, and I, I don't want to go too far afield. I'm sorry, I understood. I took us no, down this fine. with my question. But I, I, I guess I, by, by you not, by making the choice to not participate, you, you, you take yourself out of the game. Now you're completely on the sidelines. And I guess I just don't understand it. But, but in any event, okay, let, let's get back to the whole Johnson comments. Okay. You, you, you don't think sure. he's helping himself by what he's saying? No, not at all. And I feel like he's absolutely placating or, or basically just pandering almost to the QAnon MAGA crowd, which is still strong. There's an undercurrent going on. And what the sad thing about the whole thing is, 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 is these people, a lot of these people uh, that, that were in, that got involved and fell prey to the Bannon op, in my opinion, because I did a bunch of the research, Cambridge Analytica, blah, 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 Palantir, all this stuff. Anyway, um, bottom line is 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 you know these are well-meaning conservative people thinking that you buying into something which essentially turned out to be a crazy cult which i kind of it's okay. pretty blatantly obvious god okay david i'm gonna let you go I, I i'm kind of curious about the again i i guess the, the basic premise is that you think the senator is intentionally kind of you know, talking to the, the base and, and that may be may be true but again it's it's kind of this gratuitous stuff that that ends up attracting attention for maybe the the wrong reasons let's talk to marcus on the north side marcus you're on wtmj hey jeff uh great topic uh i'll be real fast as this is that no ron johnson to me is a racist if you're trying to include uh more uh different diversities and minorities in the party we have Ron Johnson is a racist. Those comments, are you kidding me? He might as well come out and say the N-word. Ron Johnson, it, it, he's doing this. He Basically, he's trying to imitate Trump. Ron Johnson is a schizophrenic at this point. He's trying to imitate Trump. That base is not there for him to get reelected. So what he's doing is, Jeff, is a scorched earth policy. He does not care. So he's going along these lines. He's not saying if he's going to run or not. And, and, and by the way, if he ran for governor, who cares? He wouldn't win anyway. Well, because he is such a racist at this point. I'm saying that Ron Johnson is doing so, this. Okay, to so appeal now, to now, why, why do you why do you say racist? Because he, he he made the comparison between the Capitol rioters who were predominantly white versus the the Black Lives Matter protesters who are predominantly black by by making those comparisons. You think that's where the racism comes in? Right, that's where it comes in. At. And there again, on January 6th, they're beating officers with the American flag. What part? Of, and then he said he wasn't scared. Those people, I tell you what, until they put that rope around his neck, then he would have been scared. Ron Johnson, I, I can't describe the words on the air, but as far as in our community, what's going on, he's a racist. Forget the Joseph Project. Ron Johnson is our hypocrite. He's a racist. 
He needs to be removed from office. And I guarantee you, he would not win re-election, but he's doing this on a scorched earth point. I okay. wish I dare okay. him to okay. run for office. Thank well, th- you. Thanks for the call, Mark. Well, I mean, I, he, the senator is still uncertain as to whether he's going to run for no- a run or or not. Um, I've and he is. We've we had this discussion when I had him on the program a week or two ago. Um, I I think that if he is going to run for re-election, I think he needs to announce soon and go into full campaign mode because like i say he has a target on his back and he's become very controversial and similarly and i know the senator disagrees with me i think if he's not going to run he needs to announce that soon to allow other republicans to emerge and to build their campaign war chest and to build their organization um but he's not going quietly into the good night if you want to see his opinion piece in the wall street journal follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Uh, this is a good thing. Let me explain. It's a breaking news story. Um, there, there's been a new lawsuit filed, this time by an individual, asking the state Supreme Court to clarify different interpretations of election law. The, the lawsuit asks the state Supreme Court to stop municipal clerks from allowing ballot drop boxes and fixing absentee ballot envelopes that lack full witness addresses. Now, re- remember, and, and, and look, I understand that nuance is lost in, in 2020 and 2021, but, but, but here's the deal. I do not believe that the 2020 November election w- was stolen in the fact that I, I don't believe that there were all sorts of, of votes that should have been counted or that weren't or that shouldn't have been counted and that were. But having said that, there's no question that Wisconsin election law may not have been followed in all regards. Now, I, I say may not because the, the law is very unclear. You have, for example, the, the quote-unquote democracy in the park thing that they did in Madison, where they allowed people to you know bring ballots and drop them off at tables in the park, and you had people other than the clerks who, who might have been accepting these things. And, and there's conflicting opinions. You know, you have the, the clerk of courts in Madison who says this is okay, and you have other people who says it, say it's not. I don't know if democracy in the park was legal or not. And, and when I say that, I don't mean to suggest that people who voted that way and turned off in their ballots wouldn't have been able to vote otherwise. I'm not suggesting that there weren't people who voted that way that, that weren't entitled to vote. But the method of collecting ballots may, and I say may, have not been authorized by state election law. That, that's just the reality. Similarly, there's issues about, you know, using ballot drop boxes. There's issues about, you know, fixing absentee ballot envelopes. What happened was these issues all got challenged after the November election. And the state Supreme Court, by a vote of four to three, said, look, we're we understand that these are, are valid issues. But you can't. What they said was that the Trump administration knew the Trump campaign, for example, knew that these were the rules that were out there, and you can't wait until after the election to complain about them. Now, my issue with what the state Supreme Court did is it, it didn't resolve the issues. For example, you could have issued a ruling saying democracy in the park is legal. Okay, fine. You know that moving forward. Or you could have said, we believe this process under the state law is illegal, 
but we at this point in time you know we're we're not going to change election results all right you could have done that but instead they just decided we're we're not going to handle the case which left these issues open so now there there's a court case that's been filed in advance of the April statewide election for state school superintendent that asks the supreme court to decide once and for all okay it is is it legal for clerks to, you know, change, to add stuff to absentee ballots to make them comply with the law? Are, are drop boxes legal? Things of, of the like. So I think this is a good thing to figure out what the law is one way or the other so you don't have all these different interpretations. Because I do think it is fair to go back and look at the election in November and say, hey, some of these practices that were used, particularly by some of these clerks across the state, uh, primarily in Milwaukee and Madison, but elsewhere, elsewhere as well, weren't authorized by the law. And again, I'm not suggesting that this was fraud and things like that, but I am suggesting that you need one set of rules, and we we need the state Supreme Court to decide what those rules are going to be. The state elections commission is divided. You've got the state legislature on one side. You've got the governor on the other, so you're never going to have meaningful election reform. You, You need the state Supreme Court to decide what is and isn't authorized. Are things like democracy in the park, is it legal or not? And moving forward, if it's legal, Fine, you know, do it again. If it's not legal, well, then don't don't do it. But you need those things to be resolved one way or the other. Like I say, there's just been a lawsuit filed which asked the Supreme Court to take up this case. Hopefully the Supreme Court will do it because I, for one, don't want to go through another election season with people saying, oh, this was legal. No, this wasn't legal. Oh, you objected to it in 2016, but now you don't or vice versa. Let's just let's just figure it out. You're going to need the court to decide one way or the other what practices are authorized, what practices aren't. Make the decision and then move on. Okay, when we come back, there is no such thing as a free lunch. But what about free gas and electric? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, they say there's no such thing as a free lunch. I'm not sure whether that's true or not. But in Wisconsin, um, there's been free utilities for quite a while. The way it works in Wisconsin is your utilities, I think the date is November 1st, from November 1st to April 15th, your your utilities cannot be shut off for, for non-payment. And the reason behind that is because you, you don't, in the dead of winter, when it's you know 20 degrees below zero, you, you don't want people's heat to be disconnected and things like that. So there is a moratorium that, that goes into effect on utility shutoffs. That moratorium typically ends in, in April. Um, and then what happens is people have to either have they have to make arrangements to have their utilities paid for to, or go on some sort of payment plan or the utilities get shut off and what happens a lot of times is people who haven't made the payments they end up moving um, or they, they ultimately or they make uh, payments or get on a payment plan okay so here's the deal this is the way the um, state journal is reporting it 
more than 93,000 Wisconsin households could lose electricity, gas, or water service next month if regulators allow a year-long moratorium on utility shutoffs to expire. All right, data collected by the Public Service Commission show that as of February 15th, as many as 121,000 households met the criteria for disconnection, which in most cases means they were at least 60 days past due. Now, the way it works is that, um, let's see, they say that according to the Public Service Commission, more than 48,000 households fell behind on their bills since November 1st. So here's the deal. Um, November of 2019, now keep in mind we're now in March of 2021. November of 2019 was when the, the winter moratorium went into effect 2019-2020. Right? That would normally have expired in April of 2020. Well, what was going on then? We were in the middle of a pandemic. All right, so you understand people were losing their jobs, etc. So that, that moratorium was continued and I think there were a couple votes, but ultimately it was continued during the summer and fall of 2020, saying we're still in a pandemic. And then November rolls around of 2020, and then the statute automatically kicks in. So there have been no disconnections of utilities allowed essentially for 17 months, since since November of 2019. And you have more and more people who haven't been paying their bills. 346 utilities responded to a survey reporting past due balances of more than $309 million at the end of 2020. That is an increase of 58% over the previous year. So you have people that are falling farther and farther into, into debt. And they're continuing to, again, use these electric services and they're, or they're using gas or whatever. So now the issue is, you know, what happens, what happens in April? It's been seven, it will by then be, like I say, about 17 months since people have been required to make payments, um, without fear of having their, you know, utility, they've been able to avoid making payments without having to have their, their utility shut off. Well, at some point in time, that, that's got to end, doesn't it? So now the issue is, do you continue to increase, to allow this to continue? Now, at the time we extended the moratorium last April, what you had is you know, unemployment that was like 15%. Well, unemployment in Wisconsin is now down to about 4%. You have stimulus payments that are coming out. We're not back to normal, but we're getting close to normal. So here's the question, 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The reality is when utilities aren't able to collect the money that is owed to them from customers who aren't paying, that means other ratepayers, the ones who are, have to continue to pay. So now here is the issue. Given that we are coming out of the pandemic, given that we've had stimulus payments that are there, given that, given that employment is coming back in a relatively big way, not back to quite where it was, but more and more people are getting jobs, can we start turning off electricity and gas for people who haven't paid and don't make payment arrangements? Is it time to start doing that this spring? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer, my answer is yes. I mean, I think it's now at a point where it is reasonable to say to people, look, it's been 17 months. 
you need to number one make either either pay what you owe or number two make arrangements go on a payment plan to start the process of of paying back that money there's different aid that's out there people are going to be getting stimulus checks the utilities don't want to shut off people's service they want the money they want to try to develop payment plans and they want to work with people shutting off people is the last thing because like i say once they shut off people they know there's no way as a practical matter they're going to be able to collect but you can't continue to allow people to use natural gas and electricity and whatever and not pay for it can you 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line i don't think it is reasonable after 17 months to now start requiring people to again make some effort to pay what they owe we discuss in a moment jeff wagner on wtmj 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I work three jobs to make ends meet. Priorities. I say shut off people who aren't paying. Jeff, how much of everything free does society need? Shut off services. Um, some people use every excuse imaginable. Um, my guess is some of the people that aren't paying utilities, they've got new cars, they've got phones, etc. Well, it, there, there is an element to that. Now, I don't know what percentage of that it is, but if you if you don't pay your utilities, they're not going to shut you off. If you don't pay your phone, your cell phone service is going to be disconnected. If you don't pay your cable, you're going to lose that. So it is a matter of priorities. And I, I get it. It's like, well, you know, I don't want to lose my cell phone service so i'm going to just not pay the utility well that that's all well and good but the further and further you get into debt the more difficult it becomes to try to dig your way out jeff i know some people were severely impacted by covid but not paying bills is not an option um jeff i feel it's certainly appropriate to at least set up a payment plan adjustments can be made on how much or how little those payments should be yeah see that's it they're not going to cut you off if you're willing to work with the utilities. But for people who don't even want to make that phone call and try to agree to pay some money, that I'm sorry, I just don't have any sympathy for that. It is a valid debt, and you have to make an obligation and start repaying it. Jeff, I fell behind in January. I plan to use my stimulus check to catch up. I feel, yes, starting shutting off people. Maybe people will understand. Jeff, I think you should shut it off. They can use stimulus checks to pay the their bills. Um, Jeff, do you know what they do about unpaid electric utility bills? They end up taking money they've been giving the stimulus money, and then people should pay their bills. That's how they should work. Well, they're not going to mandatorily take that, but I, I do think it's reasonable. In addition, there there's all sorts of aid packages that are out there that you can go and you can apply for and, and try to get that money paid for. But otherwise, what's happening is it, it's all the rest of us, the people who are paying their utility bills on a regular basis, they're the ones who who are essentially chumps because they're the ones that are paying for the people that, that have made the decision not to. And look, I'm not trying to be this heartless guy on the radio. I, I understand that, that people are hurting. I understand why they extended the moratorium last April. All right, because that's at the height of the pandemic. You've got everybody in disarray. People have lost their jobs. There's all this degree of uncertainty. I get it. But we're back. It's now a year later. And I guess my question becomes, if, if not now, when? And when you think about this, it's, it's really been 17, by, by early April, it's going to be 17 months for some people. If you haven't made a utility payment in 17 months because 
you, you haven't been able you, you couldn't afford the, the November or the December of 2019 bill. And you've been using the utilities and the gas and the electric and all that for the next 15 or 16 months. How in the world are you going to ever dig out of that? And, and 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 if you don't try to start, if you're not forced somehow to start digging out of it, all you're going to do is see these debts increase and get larger and larger and larger. And what that means is all the other ratepayers are going to have to, you know, just shell this out. At some point in time, you've got to start saying to the utility companies, the only method you have of trying to force people to pay what they owe is with the threat of disconnection. And even at that, I, I fully acknowledge, like I say, there's some people that are so far behind, they're just going to walk away from it. I, I get that. I understand it. But that threat of disconnection is the only threat that the, it's the only, you know, shoe that the utility company has to drop to force people to be motivated to pay. And if you continue, again, a utility moratorium, what are you going to do in April? You're going to run it through, what, next November when it kicks in, and then that kicks in the automatic statutory thing? I mean, I could easily see where you will have some people, if we don't get a handle on this, who will have been allowed to go two or three years without paying their utility bills, which means everybody else is going to have to pick up the tab can't let that happen you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I know people have experienced the no-tip restaurant server scenario. Not only does this drive up cost, but it lessens the motivation for the server to be on their A game. It also restricts their ability to make more money based on the level of service. Servers want the tip system. Um, I I think that that's the case. That's certainly been the experience of this. Okay, let's start with uh, Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? So I owned a restaurant I owned a restaurant for 28 years. Mm-hmm. Just got out of it a couple of years back, and actually my employers are still running my restaurant and still doing very well. Um, over the years, you know, girls complain about their tips, and they, well, I, made, I didn't make any money tonight. It was slow. We had a snowstorm. I bet you 30 or 40 times in that 25 years, I've always told people, listen, I will give you $15 an hour, and you give me your tips every night. <laughs> right. Not one person would even think of taking me up on that. Be- and why do you think that was? Well, because I watch them count their money. I was I sometimes want to ask them for a loan. <laughs> right. Well, right. If if they're if you're see, and that that's certainly been the experience of, of every. Oh, now you know, maybe maybe there's some restaurants where that's not the case, but at, at most restaurants, I, I think if you gave the servers to your point, you were saying fifteen bucks an hour. You know, if you offered them even, you know, I, certainly at fifteen bucks an hour, more people would say, hey, we're we're making much more money on tips. We don't want that deal. I mean, why would we force this? This on on servers. Why would we force this on restaurants? It makes no sense to me. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, I in twenty five years, I have when I left a couple years back, and, and actually leased it to my employees. I still had four employees from the day I opened sure. twenty five years ago. Sure, absolutely. Again, well, if you treat your employees right and they make money, they're not. They don't want a higher wage. They do, but they also they want both worlds. You can't have both worlds. If you take one, you're not going to get the other. Well, well right, because if you had to, I mean, the, my guess is, Jeff, if, if all of a sudden you had to start paying the servers, like your, your number, $15 an hour, so that 
if that was going to happen, the only way you were going to get that $15 an hour back was, number one, you either get the tips, like you were saying, but more likely you, you increase the cost that you end up having to pass on to consumers, right? So, you know, the, the sandwich that costs uh, yeah. $6 ends up costing $9. Now seven. Yeah. yeah. Or seven or eight. Yeah. I mean, again, volume eats some of that up, but you're correct. It's, you know, again, if it's not broken, why fix it? I, I just, it's, we keep getting our hands in things we shouldn't be getting our hands in. Yep. And thanks for calling. No, I'm, I'm with you. That's why when I see this story, like I say, the thing that jumps out to me is solution looking for a problem. Now, if you want to talk about, again, the discussion of, of raising the minimum wage, if, if that's the, the argument that's out there, you know, because you're, you're concerned that the, the dishwashers um, aren't making enough money or, you know, the busboys aren't making enough money and you don't think it's fair that they're only paid $7 or $8 or $10 an hour. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a different discussion to have. And then, you know, you can argue about, okay, well, what's, what's the job really worth and what's the effect going to be and what it's going to, what's going to happen when to the, to the prices if you all of a sudden tell the restaurant owner, no, you have to pay the, the busboy that you're paying $8 50 an hour or nine bucks you now have to pay them six dollars more an hour how is that cost going to get passed on so it's i mean again it's it's one thing if you want to say some of the people that are working in the kitchen and stuff we think that they need to be paid more and we're doing that through the minimum wage oh okay I, i'm not taking a position on that one way or the other other than to say you know other than to say that it, it's it's a discussion that you have but but to go the other route and say to the people that are doing just fine working with with tips that no now we're going to increase your base salary as well that to me is where i, I think what why bother it's not a problem at least it's not a problem with most of the servers jeff i had a waitress at a local bar and grill we frequent tell me that she with tips averages 35 dollars per hour yeah, I mean, I think that that's, you know, $35. Right. And that's probably not necessarily unique. But like I say, almost everybody I know, and my wife spent her entire career in the hospitality industry and at the different places she worked. And she worked in a wide variety of restaurants and stuff like that and knows people that worked in a wide variety of restaurants. And she feels very strongly that. Uh, you know, most people who work in the hospitality industry as servers would much rather do the tip, work on tips. And I don't think you can lose sight of the fact that by using that tip model, it does also encourage people to give good service. And yeah, I know that there's going to be that situation that pops up where, again, somebody is stiffed or whatever. But, you know, big picture, you know, for every person like that, you're going to probably have nine or ten that tip you fairly. Jeff, I disagree. I am tipping because I know they make less than the minimum wage. Tipping has little to do with the quality of service unless you have the disposable income to tip above that. And if you tip cash, it's up to the server to claim that as income. Tipping has little to do with the quality of service. Huh. I guess I would I would disagree with that. Now, I mean, unless it's really awful, a service is really awful. There's a sort of minimum tip that I'm going to get. But if the service is good, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, 
I guess I've always kind of figured that $5 or $10 or whatever means more to the server than it does to me at this point in time in my life. And if I'm fortunate to have the disposable income that can do it, if they do a good job, I'm going to do that. Um, Jeff, I would still tip even if they made minimum wage. Without those people, you eat at home. Most don't get health benefits. Um, tip how well your service is no matter what. Well, I think people would still tip if you increase the minimum wage, but I'm not sure they would tip as much. And if the restaurant owners have to pass these costs on to consumers in the form of higher prices, which they will, um, I think the bottom line is, at the end of the day, I think the servers might um, might lose out on this. Again, I don't I don't see this huge lobby of servers storming Madison saying, you know, we demand an end to the tipped minimum wage. Matter of fact, I believe if you polled most servers, their response would be, no, we're, we're, we're doing just fine here. And if we're working at a restaurant where we're, we're not doing well, well, maybe that means we need to, you know, find that place where we can do better. And the idea that, okay, getting, you know, an extra $5 an hour and a minimum wage, that's not going to change that dynamic. You want to be at a place where you can make substantially above minimum wage. And that's what I think working as a server, if you're good and in the right place, it gives you the opportunity to do. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. The late comedian Robin Williams always used to say, and I steal the line from time to time and vary it, used to say that cocaine was God's way of telling you you have too much money. You know, if you, if you could afford to do cocaine, that's God's way of saying you got too much money. And I, I admit I, I take that line and I use it for different things. Well, here's another example of God's way of telling you that you have too much money. Okay, Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry... You know, those, everybody, the royals who have left the royal family and did that big interview with Oprah a week or two ago, you know, talking about how terrible it was to grow up in the palace and how Meghan Markle was mistreated and all that type of stuff. All right. Well, you know, they, they were telling their tale after they went on Oprah. There was a woman. Her name was Anastasia Hansen, 56 of California. Know what she did? She felt bad for Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. So she started a GoFundMe campaign. Here's what the object, you know, GoFundMe is the thing you do on the Internet where people donate stuff. Okay, the GoFundMe page, this is what it read. I am Anastasia Hansen of Ventura, California, and I am raising money to help pay off the mortgage for the Montecito, California home of Harry and Meghan. Now, the home they live in, is a $14.6 million California estate. So she feels bad for Prince Harry and Meghan. So she wants to start a GoFundMe campaign asking people to donate to pay off the mortgage on the $14.6 million house. We're 2 million, I'm quoting from the GoFundMe page, we're 2 million supporters to donate just $5 each. The goal is met and the loan can be paid off. After their interview... I was moved with compassion to help get their home paid off. As they are now financially independent, this will help and be a loving gift. They live in, it's a nine-bedroom, nine 16-bathroom mansion that is called the Chateau of Riven Rock. All right. Uh, the prince reportedly inherited what now amounts to around $13 million from his mother, Princess Diana. They also have an estimated $100 million production deal with Netflix. And 
Um, apparently, they make a million dollars a pop for speeches. So this lady says, gee, I just felt bad for Meghan and Prince Harry. So I want to start a GoFundMe page to pay off the $14 million that they owe on or whatever they owe on, on the mansion. All right. Now, to me, that would be the classic example of, of God's way of telling you that you have too much money if you can donate money to help Meghan and Prince Harry pay off their $14.6 million mansion. Well, just when you think that maybe you're ready to lose complete and total faith in humanity, here is the follow-up to that story. Gru, would you like to guess how much money that, that, that raised when they went to GoFundMe page, give money to you know, Meghan and Harry? Would you like to take a guess? Did you say that she was saying everybody gives five dollars? Every, everybody that, that was the request. Everybody give five bucks to to pay off the 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 debt. I can't imagine many people got on board with this. So <laughs> maybe fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. Would you like to take a guess, Melissa Barkley? Uh, okay, Let's see, maybe GoFundMe page. I, I'll give it twenty grand. Twenty grand. Yeah. Okay. Well. Actually, you know, Gru, Gru actually wins the prices right because it's closer without going over. The GoFundMe effort to, to pay off the, 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 the $14.6 million mansion raised $110. Now, apparently, here's how they, they figured it out. The woman who started it kicked in 5 bucks. Somebody listing themselves as anonymous kicked in 5 bucks, And somebody gave $100. Now, again, going back to that Robin Williams quotation, God's way of telling you that you have too damn much money is if you can give $100 to a GoFundMe campaign to pay off whatever mortgage is left on the $14.6 million mansion that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry live in. But anyhow, it, it drew a total of $110. Three donors, including the one that gave the 100 bucks, And it, it is now, if you, were, if you wanted to jump on board this, I'm, I'm sorry, they've now taken down the GoFundMe page for lack of interest. So just, I, when I first saw that story, I, I admit in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, first of all, who would donate to this? And secondly, how many people would? And candidly, if I had had to make a guess, my guess would have been closer to Melissa's guess than it would have been to Gru's. So I give him credit for you know, giving credit to human nature. Because like I say, there, there might be, I understand there's all sorts of issues with Meghan Markle, and there's people who treated, think that they were treated unfairly by the royal family for people who care about that type of stuff. I, I get it. That's a fair discussion to have. But you don't... You don't need to be giving them money. Trust me, there is no need to have tag sales for Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. They're, they're going to do, they're going to do just fine. Uh, before we break for the news, one other thing: the long national nightmare continues. You know, I, I told you earlier this week about how the, the CBS show the talk which is where the women get together um, that that's been on hiatus because of a controversy involving. Um, Sharon Osborne, who was accused of being a racist because she defended her friend Piers Morgan, who was critical of Meghan Markle. And now there's this huge brouhaha that's developed. They had taken the show off the air on Monday and Tuesday. Apparently, uh, that hiatus has now been extended um, as they try to figure out what they're going to do with Sharon Osborne, who apparently didn't want to back down and didn't want to apologize after defending her position. So I don't know if you're a fan of the talk. Well, your long national nightmare continues. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. 
And now, WDMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa, where's your St. Patrick's Day? Are you, are you wearing any green? I forgot to wear green. How could you forget to wear green? It's St. Patrick's Day. I think I might have some green on my socks, but off the look. <laughs> I completely forgot. Well, I was telling this story earlier. My, my mom, third generation Irish, her, her uh, maiden name was Sheehan. And it was funny this morning. I every little boy loves their mom and I, I, I love my mom. I miss her every day. She's been gone for 10 or 11 years. And I, this morning I, I heard my mom's voice because I, I had actually, I got up, you know, got ready. I was kind of like mm-hmm. thinking, okay, this, I, I had, I had the shirt I was going to wear. And that, I swear I heard my mom's voice saying, Jeffrey, that's what she would call me when she wanted to get my attention. Jeffrey, um, it's St. Patrick's <laughs> day. You know, what, what are you yeah. doing? And, and immediately put that back and then went searching the closet. I, I have a green shirt and I also, you have a green on, green shirt. I, well, right, on. I, I, well yeah. this is, this is my Jimmy Buffett, like tour shirt from tour sweatshirt from 2006 but it's green it's absolutely. hard to dig out kelly green like the irish green right i don't know if i own anything that green right right but but in any event so that's I, oh that's, that, that's, nice. that's your, for my mom, mom and the yeah. t-shirt under that is green and and we were talking i mean tonight I, I i've already got the plan i got something to do like immediately after the show and at five but then i'm, I'm gonna end up somewhere for uh like a guinness and a, corned beef and well a reuben sandwich reuben, yeah and then yeah. and then a, a glass of jameson's and things like that you know it's just you gotta celebrate especially since last year we didn't get a chance to you well, know enjoy ourselves well right and like i gotta I, I gotta got every year i i just i have to have at least a shot of jameson's to toast toast my mom you know and so yeah. that, that's oh that's sweet so like that, that. that that is that is the plan so next year wear green you gotta remember that i know i can't but you have to text me all right i will wear text green. you remember to wear green <laughs> melissa yes okay I want to talk about Tony Evers. This did not get a lot of attention yesterday but i swear if Evers has his way we are going to be in pandemic mode forever. And I am not exaggerating. It's going to be forever. And my question is, when, when is enough, when is enough enough? All right, here, here's the deal. Tony Evers does an interview with Wisconsin Health News yesterday, and it hasn't gotten a lot of, of attention, but the MacGyver Institute picked it up and the State Journal picked it up a little bit. All right, here, here's, what, here, here's what first got my attention. Um, Evers says that he thinks it's only slightly possible that people can attend Brewers games by the end of the summer. Only slightly possible. Right now, keep in mind, we've got opening day coming up at the end of this month, and, and we're operating on a real limited capacity. What are they going to allow, like 15,000 people in? But the governor was it made it clear that if he gets his way, he thinks there is only a slight chance that by the end of the summer, you know, we'll, we'll be able to, uh, again, have at least a, a decent number of people at the stadium. In addition... He says events like the Wisconsin State Fair need some, quote, hard thinking about how they used to run and how they now need to, quote, follow the science. Keep that in mind post-COVID. If I'm Kathleen O'Leary or I'm Don at the State Fair or Don Smiley at Summerfest, I'm chilled by that because it tells me that the governor really doesn't have any intention or any plan to open up these events to like large scale numbers of people. And as we've talked about before, you know, you can't run the state fair or Summerfest at 35 or 40 percent capacity. You cannot do that because 
they, they you just can't make enough money. You you can't get you the the vendors need a certain number of people. They're going to come. You need a certain amount of money to pay the bands. And I'm looking at what Tony Evers is saying. He says, well, they need to hard thinking about how they used to run and how they need to follow the science post COVID. Again, keep that that follow the science in mind. He also said that he has no specific COVID metric in mind that signals that Wisconsin doesn't need another emergency order or mask mandate. He says more mandates will depend on the trajectory of new cases, not on vaccinations. Huh. And he wants to, this is what really caught my attention, he wants to push the pandemic to, quote, make it gone. Make it gone. Now, related to this, Wisconsin health officials are saying that in order to Make the virus gone. What they need to do is they need to achieve about about 80% of the people need to be vaccinated. Well, there, there's no way in God's green earth that you're going to get eight out of ten people that are going to be vaccinated. Now, I'm not I'm not anti-vaccination. As soon as as soon as I can get on a list, I, I'm I'm on a waiting list. As soon as I can get vaccinated, I am. But eight out of ten people in the state of Wisconsin are not going to get vaccinated. That that's just the reality of, of this. I I, you're, I think you're going to be lucky to have sixty percent. But if if the goal is really it's eighty percent, that that's what we need. And he's saying I'm not lifting these restrictions. I want to make it gone. Well, we're going to be in this pandemic mode and in a series of lockdowns with one rule after another. We're probably going to be there, certainly for the rest of the Evers term. Now, I want to go back to one of the things he says. He wants to push the pandemic to make it gone, quote, unquote. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What happened, as long as we're talking about following the science, what happened to flattening the curve? See, I, I thought that's what we were all about with, with COVID. I thought that's what the CDC was. That's what Dr. Fauci was. That's what we were about. We were about flattening the curve, recognizing that we're not going to ever be able to make COVID gone because it's a virus. But rather, we want to make sure that between immunity or social distancing or whatever, we have flattened the curve so that hospitals are not overwhelmed. Now we've got the governor of the state of Wisconsin saying, well, I've got no metric for when I'm going to stop doing these emergency orders. I think that moving forward, whether it's state fair or Summerfest or whatever, they need to rethink, you know, how they operate moving forward. What about following the science and whatever happened to, uh, again, flattening the curve? Now it's we want to make the pandemic gone. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, it seems to me we have people that are making it up as they go along. And if it's serious... If we're seriously trying to say we're not going to be able to come out of an emergency mode till 80% of the people have been vaccinated, well, then we're going to be in one order after another for the next several years because, again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm getting a vaccination. I encourage you to. But 80% of the state of Wisconsin is not going to do it. They're just not. 60% is maybe a goal. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can we not resume normal? until we're COVID is gone. And if so, what the heck does that mean? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just, I, I think we're, we've gone through the looking glass 
when it comes to some of the these things and th- this idea of returning to normalcy. And some people who have apparently become concerned or decided that we're not going to return to normal till nobody's coming down with COVID, which People are going to be coming down with COVID for the rest of our lives, aren't they? 855-616-1620. How much more of this can we take? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So if you're just tuning in, yesterday, the governor of the state of Wisconsin, Tony Evers, gives an interview with Wisconsin Health News. And essentially, Evers is saying, we're in pandemic mode forever. That, that That's how I interpret it. He says, well, maybe it's slightly possible that people can attend Brewers games by the end of the summer. Events like the Wisconsin State Fair need hard thinking about how they used to run and how they need to follow the science post-COVID. He says that he wants to push the pandemic to make it gone. And my point is, wait, wait a second. You know, the COVID is not going to disappear. All right. And then I'm looking at this other story where there's people are talking about, well, you need 80 percent vaccinations. You're never going to get 80 percent vaccinations. That's just not going to happen. I think people should get vaccinated. But you mean to tell me that this is the position of the state of Wisconsin that, all right, we're until we make push the pandemic to make it gone. We're not going to be able to go to events like State Fair or, or have or, or have get-togethers or Fourth of July picnics or things like that or fireworks. I'm sorry, that's just not realistic. And if that's what we're pushing, whatever happened to this this whole idea of follow the science? I hear follow the science, and and I don't know where the science is. People are making this up as they go along. You know, we were told, okay, you have to maintain six feet distance. Well, then now, okay, it's it's three feet distance that we've decided. You know, it's it's just the science seems to change. Oh, yes, you can't travel. But now that you've been vaccinated, well, we still don't want you to travel, but we can't explain to you why that is, or we can't show you any empirical evidence demonstrating, you know, this. I mean, seriously. Jeff, science says 99% of the population is not at risk with COVID-19, science says protect the vulnerable. Vaccinations will soon cover that group. The science is there. If you are concerned, if you're concerned, don't attend. Yeah, I don't think we're getting this follow the science. This is now starting to be about, hey, we, we want to control your life. Push the pandemic to make it gone. No, I thought we were about flattening the curve. I mean, at some point in time, we have to decide, are we going to hole up in our basements for the rest of our lives because we're afraid that somebody might come down with this? Or are we going to protect the most vulnerable and, again, flatten the curve, recognizing that COVID's going to be, you know, with us? Jeff, where are the reporters asking Evers questions like, what science supports the assertions you're making? Um, they want people to get vaccinated, but yet they put out stuff which may p- makes people say, why should I get vaccinated? Well, well yeah. If if you're vaccinated, if, if your goal is, hey, I want to be able to go to State Fair. I want to be able to go to, to Summerfest in September. I want to be able to go to Brewers games when there's 40,000 people at American Family Field. See, I got it right that time. But but then you say, well, even if you're vaccinated, we don't think you're going to be able to do that. Um, Jeff, Evers' problem is he treats Wisconsin residents as though he's the teacher and we're all the first grade students. Um, Jeff, Evers will keep us locked down and keep MPS closed as long as he in office. Um, well, you, you do wonder, you know, is there light at the end of the tunnel 
that's out there. Jeff, I'm sorry, but I'm not listening to the governor at all. I have resumed my normal life, and I'm planning on buying Brewers tickets tomorrow. Well, I, I think the, the more you hear this kind of doom and gloom stuff and recognize that we're, we're no longer doing what we were supposed to do, which is, again, be concerned with flattening the curve, and now we're talking about essentially, well, don't don't go out. We're not releasing these restrictions until we've eventually you know, pushed the pandemic away, whatever that means. It, it's like, okay, it is very, very clear to me that the governor is just winging it. And again, I understand this follow the science, but if you're going to say that, you should be able to document you know, what you're talking about. Jeff, follow the science is just a catchphrase used by people with no scientific background to tell you that they think they're smarter than you are. Um, it's the smartest person in the room syndrome. Tony Evers thinks that he's that guy. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Jeff, this is the climate change science. Well, um, you know, wait till Memorial Day and see how many get togethers there are. Right. It, it's this kind of like gloom and doom stuff that's out there. You, you have to, I think you have to make it clear to people that there is some, some point that's out there. And if you're going to say it's 80% vaccinations, give me a break. I mean, I think more and more people, and I'm starting to hear from you, recognize that COVID is serious. You've lived with this for a while. But at some point in time, once you get vaccinated, you're you're, you feel like you're safe to, to go on. And if the governor is going to try to artificially limit our ability to get together once more and more people get vaccinated or have had COVID, I, I mean, it's just you're going to completely and totally lose people. And I think one of the deals is that, you know, the more you do this type of stuff, you you, you just people tune off, tune out. When you know, they, they hear all this unreasonable stuff, well, I think moving forward, State Fair is going to have to reassess. And by the way, I don't think he's just talking about State Fair in 2021. I think he's talking about State Fair in 2022 and 2023 and 2024. It, it's this idea that, okay, we have to be in pandemic mode for the rest of our lives. Jeff, Tony Evers is a joke. We just got back from Arizona, attended a Brewer Spring training game, and felt safe there. They required masks, had social distancing. Um, I'm sure State Fair and such will come up with various plans. Um, well, I think that there's an, an element of that as well. Jeff, the governor wants to have total control over everybody. Well, I think that there's an element of that that's out there, that there's this idea we're going to control our, our lives. And look, I, I appreciate you, you, you don't want people getting sick, right? But the truth of the matter is most people that get COVID get sick and they get better. So what you want to do is you want to concentrate on protecting those people who are most vulnerable, which is why I think we kind of missed the boat in the beginning by not following models like what they did in Florida, where they they concentrated all their efforts on trying to protect people who were in their nursing homes and things like that. But the reality is, I mean, is the governor seriously telling me that you can't go out to state fair again if you're a healthy, other, otherwise healthy 35-year-old who um, has made the decision not to get a vaccination? Or if I'm, you know, in my 60s and I've got the vaccination, I can't go out to state fair because there might be some otherwise healthy 35-year-old who's made the decision not to? Give me a break. I don't think people will put up with that. And this idea of follow the science, well, if that's the case, you better have more to back it up than I've been seeing lately as the science continues to evolve and change. And they need to come up with a reason why people who've been vaccinated can't go about, you know, living their normal lives. And right now, 
now the people who are trying to make that argument just just haven't been able to come up with that evidence. I think people have in general been pretty good about being conscious of COVID and, you know, following the social distancing rules and things of the like. But the idea that we're not going to be able to resume normal until we've made the pandemic go away, well, I just, it's just not reasonable anymore. And unfortunately, nobody pushes the governor on these things. It's very apparent to me that if he gets his way, he will continue with one emergency after another until his term expires in 2022. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind.